You're listening to Good Inside with Dr. Becky, and this is an episode you've asked for for so long. I will be sharing scripts for how to discuss tricky situations that happen in the classroom with your child's teacher. We'll go over how to communicate in a way that's actually productive and lowers defensiveness. But first, a word from our sponsor. If you're anything like me, mornings can be a real struggle. Between making breakfast, prepping lunches, and making sure our kids actually brush their teeth, the last thing we have time for is a kid having a meltdown about what they're wearing. This is where Garanimals comes in. Garanimals is the original mix-and-match clothing brand for babies and toddlers in sizes newborn through 5T. They're easy-to-pair and fun-to-wear styles, empower kids to dress themselves, boosting their self-confidence and independence. Oh, and making mornings power struggle free for us parents. That is a win-win. You can find all of their fun mix-and-match styles from their new spring collection in Walmart stores and on walmart.com. So here's to easier mornings, confident kids, and parents reclaiming their sanity. Here's to Garanimals. Hi, I'm Dr. Becky, and this is good inside. I'm a clinical psychologist and mom of three on a mission to rethink the way we raise our children. I love translating deep thoughts about parenting into practical, actionable strategies that you can use in your home right away. One of my core beliefs is that we are all doing the best we can with the resources we have available to us in that moment. So even as we struggle, and even as we are having a hard time on the outside, we remain good inside. I am super excited about today's episode. In it, we tackle how to talk to teachers about tricky situations with your kids. I know that you're all going to get so much from this episode because it's full of immediately actionable strategies and scripts for communicating with teachers in a productive way. To tackle this topic, I'm calling in Dr. Jenny Nash. She is the head of education impact team for Lego Education. And Jenny is also a parent. So she brings so much experience having been on both sides of these conversations. With all of that in mind, let's jump in. Hi, Jenny. I am so excited to have you here. Oh, Dr. Becky, I'm so excited to get to share some great ideas with you today. Oh, that's such a nice way of phrasing things. I'm excited for the same thing. Tell everyone a little bit about who you are. So I think first and foremost, I'm a mom and I'm an educator. So I've spent almost 20 years in education as a teacher in the classroom, an administrator working through university, doing outreach in classrooms, teaching after school programs, you name it. Pretty much I've gotten to teach it. It's amazing the experiences that I've gotten to have. But I think also as a mom, you know, I've just had these really rich experiences around teaching my own child and learning so much from her. Uh, So I'm really excited about kind of the dialogue we can have today. And now with Lego Education, I get this amazing opportunity Mm. to bring just really impactful, hands-on, purposeful play to students all over the U.S. 
And so I really get to see all of that work over years and years, everything that we've learned come to life in classrooms where students are just getting to have absolutely amazing learning experiences. Wow. What an awesome job where you, it sounds like you get to have fun and create and do different things and learn. That sounds sounds kind of like the best place to work. It's the best because of seeing, you know, these opportunities for kids. So, you know, I'm not always in the classroom anymore, sadly. I miss that. But, you know, when we're Mm -hmm. thinking about and getting creative about what are all the amazing ways that students can learn? How can we make learning meaningful, real, authentic for students? And then we're just playing with those ideas. And then we take them to the teachers and the teachers take it even further. Of course, they, you know, when they bring it in their classroom, what they're able to do with it's incredible. So, it is kind of the the best job. It is so fun, um, not only because of the materials we're using, but really what everybody then takes and does with them. Yeah. So I'm so grateful to have you on this podcast because you have so many areas of expertise and you have so much experience. So you're a parent and you're an educator, right? You've been in the classroom and also you have been on the parent side of the classroom where your kids have teachers. And one of the things I get asked about all the time is how can we as parents connect with our kids' teachers? And often it comes up when there's a problem, right? Parents usually think, oh, well, when things are going well, I, I know how to connect with you know, the teacher. But when there's a problem, when there's an issue, when there's a behavioral issue, when there's a learning issue, when you feel like, oh, I don't know if my teacher is seeing uh, my kid in the same way I'm seeing my kid, so many parents tell me that they really struggle to communicate effectively. And given you've been on both sides of those conversations, I would love to use today to even share some of the specific scenarios that, I mean this, like sometimes stump me. I'm like, oh, I have some ideas, but there's definitely other perspectives. And I would love to, as you said, kind of think and learn together about those scenarios. How does that sound? That sounds amazing. I would love to get to learn together today. Amazing. So why don't we jump in with a couple kind of specific situations? And I have a feeling as we do that, we'll probably draw out some general themes. So if you're a parent listening and you hear a situation, you think, oh, well, my kid doesn't have that struggle or that doesn't sound like my kid. Keep listening because my guess is Jenny and I are going to think about principles of communication and connection that can be extended to almost any situation. Okay. Here's something I hear over and over and over. Parents say, okay, I parent my kid without timeouts, without punishments, without a lot of sticker charts. My kid is in a school that involves a lot of those principles in the classroom. So specifically, my daughter, age six, has a teacher who's, quote, old school. So if a kid doesn't finish their work on time, they miss playtime. Even one kid's artwork got thrown into a bin to teach that kid a lesson because they didn't choose the colors for the art that the teacher said to choose. This feels really bad to me when I hear these stories. How do I manage talking about this with my kid in a way that honors what's happening but kind of still respects that there's a teacher? And how can I talk about this with the teacher in an effective way? Okay, Jenny, solve solve that for us. Let's go. Oh, <laughs> what a fun, fun problem to solve together. It's actually something that we experienced a little bit our, ourselves with our daughter. She's 13 now, but when she was in elementary school, 
just kind of a different approach to how we, you know, wanted her learning. Um, my husband's also an educator. So of course we have some thoughts into that and, you know, the way that she was experiencing school. And I think that, you know, I tried to really approach that with a curiosity with her around, you know, how was that making her feel? You know, where was she seeing this tug between our expectations as parents and this expectation at school? And, you know, of course there's a learning lesson in that itself as we grow up into systems of work at other places, you know, so we tried to really just have some of those conversations with her, but but approach it through this idea of, you know, what what is upsetting you about this? What's frustrating about it? And just that curiosity mm. that I think we pull out. And, you know, when I think about kind of where kids are, that playful nature of discovery, um, you know, it's something we talk a lot about with Lego Education, of course, is this idea of natural kind of curiosity and play. It's an approach you can have to helping bring that social emotional piece out in your students, because I'm sure... Mm these kids are feeling potentially frustrated or saddened or, you know, just very unsure and, and like they're getting pulled in these different directions. And it's an opportunity to help them kind of discover their own kind of resilience against that. They're going to face that in the real world. <laughs> you know, how do we help them discover that? You're saying so many things. Tell me if this feels in line or as an extension of what you just said. So number one, our kid comes home and tells us something that happened in their classroom that didn't feel good to them. And that doesn't feel good to you and doesn't feel in line with how you even believe kids should be treated or how to get the best out of them. Okay, that's the baseline. I think a lot of us as parents, our first inclination is, I need to change that. I need to fix that, right? And actually, what you talked about, Jenny, that curiosity, what I think you actually modeled, though, which was interesting, was curiosity in your kid's experience. That I'm even visualizing this. Do I have the urge to kind of go to the classroom and change it first or stay next to my kid? in our house where they're telling me this story and explore their experiences. Now, this is not to say it has to be either or, but sometimes in that urge to go fix, we miss what our kid actually needs most, which is someone to validate and believe their experience or even explore the emotions that came up in the classroom that probably weren't explored with that type of teacher. So it makes me think of the difference between, I'm going to go talk to your teacher. That is absurd and that's awful. Again, it's not that we can't do that, but versus a first response of, what was that like when your art was thrown away? Oh, you watched Bennett's art get thrown away? It wasn't yours. Ooh, I wonder what that was like for you. Sometimes I hear parents push back in my head, even though you know it's just my head. And I hear them saying, I don't think my six-year-old could answer that question. We don't ask questions to kids to get profound answers. We ask questions to kids to number one, show them what we value. We value knowing their feelings. That's why we're asking about it. And number two, to improve their ability to answer that question, right? Now they're gonna start thinking about it. So I've now formed a bond with my kid about their troubling experience. And that probably is what my kid needs first beyond anything else. I think there's so much more to say, but what do you think about that? Is that in line with what you were kind of indicating as well? I mean, exactly. It's spot on. The The child is unsure how to grapple with what's happening and, and where to go with that. And, and they've come home and your reaction is going to model for them a lot of how they grapple with those types of things in the future. If the reaction is suddenly, I'm going to fix that, that's mm. not right, then they now are, are having an answer in their head that that's not right. And, and instead of them kind of uncovering how they felt about it and thinking through 
um, kind of fully understanding. There's plenty of situations that they may feel is not right. They don't actually have all of the information. I mean, how many times have we learned that your child is only giving you part of the information mm-hmm. um, and, and then you uncover more information and you can understand it better and help them understand it better. But if we go straight to that initial reaction that we want to have, and it's hard not to want mm-hmm. to take care of your child and fix it for them. You know, we do rob that that great kind of social emotional growth that can happen, that natural curiosity. And in the future, they won't have that curiosity themselves to think about how it truly makes them feel. They'll go straight to a reaction that we've taught them to have. And, you know, the other side of that is what about that teacher? I've, I've been the teacher that, that these parents have, have come to very upset and frustrated. And sometimes there is more to the story. Sometimes it's a completely valid concern. Sometimes it's out of my hand and it's a school policy that I have to follow and I have no choice. Mm, mm. So there's a lot of, you know, kind of external factors, even on that teacher that drive some of the actions that they have to take. Sometimes I don't know that throwing artwork away necessarily is one of those, but I do think there's that ability to go have that dialogue and understand, you know, my child's pretty upset about this. Can we understand what's happening so that I can better support what you're trying to accomplish, but you can also understand the way that I've prepared my child, the background that they come in with. And then again, it's a very different dialogue with the teacher. It's not an accusatory, how dare you do this to my child? It's allowing that dialogue to happen, which will open up a, the, the teacher also won't become defensive and shut down. I love what you said. I think people are going to be rewinding this episode and writing and like playing their podcast on like 0.5, you know, X so they can like hear every word. I think one of the key things that you said, and I'm sure we'll get into this more in another scenario, is I think one of the main things that we can think about probably in any scenario when we approach a teacher or when we approach anyone we have a conflict with is thinking about how to be on the same team. Nobody ever can approach a conversation with openness if they feel attacked. I think this visual is really powerful as we go into those conversations to kind of ask yourself, am I approaching a teacher like I'm on one side of the table and they're on the other and they're the problem who needs to change? Or am I approaching the teacher like I'm on one side of the table and they're sitting next to me on the same side of the table and we are looking at a problem together? We are not gazing at each other. We are sharing a point in our gaze at the problem, and we're trying to come up with solutions side by side. That is how people problem solve. And I think your language, Jenny, even of we or versus you, right? I can't believe you threw my kid's artwork away. Why would you think that would motivate him, right? The only thing a teacher hears then is, you think I'm a bad person. You think I'm a bad person. You think I'm a bad person. And if we know anything in the good inside community, it's that we always are trying to feel good inside. So then, of course, a teacher has to be defensive. It's not even about you. It's kind of reclaiming their goodness. Well, you don't understand. Your kid did this thing. Not productive. If we instead approach a teacher as a teammate and even say that, I find that is such a great opener. Hey, I want to talk to you about something that happened in class, or at least I heard it happened. I don't even know for sure. But before we go further, I just want to tell you, I know we're on the same team. Let's say my kid's, I don't know, name is Aaron, right? Uh, I know we're both team Aaron. So I know that. And I want to go into the conversation with that in mind. And I want us to go through the conversation with that in mind. We're on the same team here. That immediately says to someone, oh, 
this person likes me. This is a safe conversation. We're on the same side of the table, right? And your language, Jenny, for I want to understand where you're coming from so I can support you. And I want you to understand where I'm coming from so you can support RN in class. Now we're talking because everyone feels connected. It's so much more effective toward our goal to talk that way. Yeah. And I think it's it's hard sometimes to remember teachers are just people too, often parents themselves, mm-hmm. often having similar conversations with other teachers. And and it is that, how would you want to be approached in that conversation? What What would make you defensive and what would allow you to open up? And you know, we talk a lot about the the student outcomes we want to get to and think about, you know, how, what are those rich student engagement opportunities? But if we want students to have that experience, we have to think about those teacher experiences at the same time and what professional development, what growth do teachers need? And so we spend an, a lot of our time really thinking about teacher growth. And I think it's an important message for parents to remember Teachers are still growing. They're still learning. Mm. Uh, You know, we bring things like computer science into the classroom. We didn't experience that as learners growing up. So we're having to experience that with our students sometimes. And this particular example may not lean into that heavily, but it is an important thing to remember. These teachers are growing and learning and and they're people too. And they're open to have these conversations Mm -hmm. if we can approach them in these really kind of open ways that allow it to be, like you said, a dialogue more than that kind of accusatory. You know, I can't I can't stress that enough. Just continue to be thoughtful about who that teacher is and how they're growing themselves as a person. All right. This is awesome. Another kind of specific scenario that came in and it came in from a bunch of people that some parents have been saying, I appreciate that my kid's teacher has experience in such a wide range of kind of areas around teaching, around child development. I feel like I am the expert on my specific child, and I know the types of things that lead to getting the most out of my kid and the types of kind of feedback and way of interacting that might be okay with other kids, but lead my kid to shut down. But I worry that if I want an extra meeting or talk with them, that I'll offend them. And then the way they feel about me will be reflected in how they treat my child. So I end up walking on eggshells and not bringing things up. What would you say kind of from the education side of things? I think it's human nature to feel that way. You know, if if I take this action, what's that reaction going to be? You know, but again, I think it's opening that dialogue up and thinking about, you know, what can I learn from you, teacher, who is an expert in, in so many ways? And I think it's feeling confident and knowing that, yes, you do know your student best in a lot of ways. That teacher probably knows a few things about students' development mm-hmm. and, and how to engage and motivate students in certain aspects, such as a writing area or a math. But they certainly would not turn away kind of hearing some of your thoughts and background that help drive them into that. And so I'm going to model a couple ways that this conversation could go, because I know we all like to kind of hear the concrete examples. And I'd love you to just give a kind of, yeah, no, Becky, don't do it that way. Or, yeah, that sounds, you know, that sounds good. So you're going to rate me. okay? Oh, boy. You know, Dr. Nash, whenever you go up to my daughter and point out a mistake, you know, she shuts down. Like, what kind of kid is going to learn from someone who's constantly criticizing them? That's a no, right? That's a no, everyone. That's a no. Okay, how about this? You know, Dr. Nash, I've just been thinking about something over and over, that there's so many things you know that are helping Amelia learn. I've also been thinking about there's certain things that I know 
just about Amelia, about kind of how she learns. And I was thinking if we brought that together and maybe I could even share some of the things I've noticed in our house, um, even things that I've just kind of learned recently about her, I think it would kind of just lead to getting the best out of her as she is kind of working through all these hard math problems. Would that be okay to share some of those things with you? I think that's a yes. That's a yes. Do, do I get to do one? Can yeah, I do one? Yeah, you do one. Awesome. Okay, okay. So, so you know, Dr. Becky, I just love that we're able to have this dialogue quickly. You know, Shelly is doing fine in math, but she really truly feels like she's struggling and she just doesn't have that math confidence that we want her to have. And I thought if we approach that together as a team, maybe we can build her up in math. So she's in here in school every day with you working on, on math. And, and then she's at home with me in the evenings doing that homework and working on math. So maybe if we put our two perspectives together, we can find a great way to help build her up. I'd really love to see at the end of the year that she's much more confident in math. I'm going to rate it. Like mine was a zero, my first one. My second one was like a five. That was like a 10. Like everyone know. just this, like. That was good. The second one was. They're like different a, versions. I guess everything doesn't have to be a comparison, there right? There like we go. Many versions of good, right? But just a highlight for everyone, because let's distill kind of the key components. It's interesting, Jenny, you do so many we's. And I love that because there's something, I really mean this, we're speaking to someone subconscious around being on the same team. And we say, we, right? We want her to feel really confident at math. We both know she's struggling, right? There's so many references to being on the same team. And when you tell someone you, it's really hard to do that. I guess unless you're saying you are the most amazing teacher in the world, everyone would be like, well, thank you. Any type of problem, that we then pair with a you creates this binary. Even mm -hmm. if we don't mean it, it almost creates a binary of like, you're wrong and I'm right. And then the only way someone could respond is now if you've set up a you're wrong, I'm right, now you have to be wrong and I'm right, right? And we don't want either. Right. No one's wrong and no one's right. No one's fault, right? There's just a problem we both see. There's a better outcome that we both want. So let's join together. And I think the more you say that, let's join together. Can you imagine if we each bring what we know uh, she, she's going to end the year in a way that's going to feel so good for her and probably is going to feel really good for us. Exactly. And I think when you put the two together, my my stating a bit of a goal and trying to have a we type language that makes us feel like we're a team in this. And then the way that you kind of opened up and posed that question of how can we approach this together? Can we share this? You know, invited that yes and feeling in somebody that's going to make us want to drive this forward. I mean, I can't imagine mm. a teacher that doesn't want that that feeling that you're valuing me and and bringing an offer to support that and us to do this together. I mean, no teacher's going to be sad about that. Great. I have another question that came in. So this is a question from someone who says. My seven-year-old is really advanced in math, and I worry he's not getting the extra push he needs to stay engaged. I really don't want to come off as that parent who thinks their kid is just so amazing. My mom was a principal, and she always talks about how self-centered and nagging so many parents were. I don't want to be like that. But how can I get my kids' need met in the classroom? Yeah, I've experienced the same thing as a, a family member of some different kids and thinking about, you know, it's that want to know how are you going to enrich my child's learning? I mean, yeah. when we think about 
you know, the opportunity for students to have somewhat personalized learning, not to kind of put a label on it, but you want your student mm-hmm. to get what they need out of the learning. And how can we ensure that happens? There's so many ways to do it. We, of course, talk a lot about purposeful play and opening up that playful situation, a project-based lesson, an inquiry-based lesson. That's going to allow students to drive in their own directions and naturally sort of differentiate. If your child's capable of driving further in the learning, they've got a pathway to do that because it's more open-ended to allow that to happen. And I think that's a, a powerful piece that we try to capture with LEGO Education all the time. We know Learners enter at different places and are able to take it in different directions. We want to see that diversity of ideas come out. We want to see that diversity of skills come out and allow students to do that. So one way is to kind of inquire and understand more about, you know, where are those open-ended opportunities happening? I think it's also completely fair to ask what other enrichment opportunities happen in the school and what are ways that you can help enrich it. Previous science teacher, so, you know, when it comes to science, I'm always like, that sounds like a really cool project you're doing in the classroom. Can I also extend it and do this and and push my daughter further? Because it's fun for me too. Um, Sometimes maybe more fun for me than her. I'm not sure she's always excited about it. But that's the opportunity we have as parents to think about. There are things we can do at home that further enrich it. But we certainly, that teacher's not going to know if we're not sharing with them Mm. that idea that, you know, Again, you know, we're in this together. How do we approach this together yeah. that, that my child's kind of expressing that this is easy and they're not challenged? And how do I push that? You know, a great theory you probably know well, Dr. Becky, the flow theory. If it's too easy for my child, they're going to be bored. You know, they're, they're going to doodle and do other things, you know, maybe get into trouble in classrooms. If it's too challenging, they're going to shut down. We've pushed them too mm-hmm. far. It's overwhelmed them. They're not capable of moving forward. If we can get them in that flow where it's just challenging enough that it's going to pique their interest and push them to try a little bit harder, that's where real growth can happen. And that's just a a perfect situation for students in a classroom if we can find that flow for them. That's so important for parents to understand. And there are so many kids who appear to be so distractible, and that could be for so many reasons, right? But for some of them, right, and they're getting in behavioral problems at school, some of them, they do need a different level in that moment, in that grade, in that subject of engagement, and that helps them focus because they're out of that flow. So I would love, let's play this kind of game again because it was actually kind of fun. Can you demonstrate a no? Like, what would be a way if you were a teacher, you'd be like, oh, now I am going to feel defensive. If a parent who has a kid with different learning needs, who needs maybe more engagement or maybe is distracted because they're not in that flow, they need something more challenging, that parent's approaching me. What would you tell people listening today kind of to put in the don't do it this way category? Yeah. So if I'm coming in and I'm saying, you know, Dr. Becky, I come home every day and I ask my kid what they're doing and they say nothing, they're bored, they're not doing anything. And I just, I'd love to understand what it is you're doing to challenge my child, because it just seems like they're not actually doing anything in your classroom. And that's such a good example. I want to be honest. That was so realistic. My body actually had a response. And what comes up for me Right. And this is what we really have to think about with the word defensiveness. It gets such a bad rap. You're so defensive. Well, someone has to be defensive only when they feel like there's something in them that needs protection. And if something needs protection, they feel like it's threatened or it's attacked. And now we all have different vulnerabilities to that. Right. Certainly based on things that predated being a parent or being a teacher. Right. 
Having said that, we can all, in the way communicate, be more likely or less likely to provoke someone's defensiveness. So when you were talking, Jenny, what I heard is this parent thinks I don't do anything. This parent thinks I basically twiddle my thumbs and I basically walk around being like, oh, my job is the easiest job in the world. I just show up and do nothing and, you know, that's all, right? And now I have to tell you all the things I do and the way your kid, by the way, doesn't respect me, whatever it is. It's not even about your kid. It's not even about my job. I'm just actually needing to defend out loud that I'm a good person with good work ethic. And when that happens, the irony is we think we're talking about the kid and the challenging kind of problems, but we're actually not talking about that. We're just trying to feel good again. Okay, so that is a no. That's a no. And I would add to what you said, just to keep in mind, you know, educators have standards that they're expected to teach to. They have policies that they have to adhere to. You know, there there are certain expectations they have to meet. And, and in meeting that sometimes with 30 kids in a room at once, you know, sometimes it does become difficult. And, and that's why it can feel sometimes like I'm trying to do everything I can to meet every individual mm-hmm. child's needs, while also tackling all these things I'm responsible for. And, and, Teachers can just feel overwhelmed sometimes. And I think we have to keep that in mind as we go in to take that dialogue. You know, they're already feeling so just worn out from all of those things. And then when you come in with that kind of um, approach that feels more defensive. Yeah. Of course, they're just going to be like, oh, what else can I possibly do? You know, they just I I can understand how they feel that way sometimes. And I think that just resonates so strongly. I mean, you know, I'm just thinking... I have three kids and they're all so different. They need so many different things. And so many times they need conflicting things at the same moment. Like they all need me in their room, right? I mean, I'm picturing a teacher who has 20 something kids, right? I know how hard that is with three. That's kind of what they're doing all day long. I have 22, I have 28, whatever the number is, kids in the classroom, all who have different learning styles, all who have different needs, all who have different emotion regulation skills. And I am trying to teach all of them. Right now, that doesn't mean as a parent, I'm just uh, here again, that parent's voicing, oh, I guess I, I shouldn't burden them. That doesn't mean you can't speak up, but kind of just stepping into your teacher's world first before I think could be really effective. So uh, I don't know why I keep hearing this phrase in my head, like, I just want to talk to you about, you know, my kid. And, you know, look, oh, my goodness. In the course of a day, you're you're catering to so many different people. I can only imagine how exhausting that is. Or I can only imagine, if I'm not a teacher myself, I would say this, I can only imagine how hard it is to manage, you know, a class of 26 kids all at probably slightly different levels in their reading curriculum. Just as a starting point, we're really saying to a teacher, I see you. I see you. I see how much work you're doing. I see how hard this is. I see you as a good person doing your best, right? Anything that sees that in someone, we now actually form a connection with them. And for anyone, no matter what the issue is, when we feel connected to someone and safe with someone and seen in our world by that person, we are much more open to seeing their need in their world much more. And so, again, just opening that line of communication can happen by having a starting point of recognition rather than the first example, right, of accusation. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think about one of our biggest goals is is creating these lifelong learners mm. and students. 
you know, so, so we really take that to heart in everything we're developing at Lego Education, but let's be lifelong learners as parents mm. sometimes too, and take that opportunity to learn about, you know, the, the expectations that teacher has and what their goals are. You know, every school has goals that they're working towards. Um, and think about how that resonates with what we want mm-hmm. for our children too. You know, so, so building that confidence, building that resilience, making sure they have the right types of knowledge, the right types of skills. I mean, teachers are thinking about that. They're grappling with that. They're trying to think about how to help students. And, you know, usually the actions are really all driven in, in order to help students grow in that way. And, and so think about that, making, wanting our students to be lifelong learners. What are, what are ways that we can help build that? And, and sometimes we need to have that mindset as well, a little bit of a growth mindset to go in and think about, you know, what are ways that the teacher might be able to support, but also what can we do at home? What are ways that I can understand the goals the school is trying to Mm -hmm. accomplish, you know, the reading goals, the math goals, the science goals, whatever the focus area you have is, there are things that we can do as parents at home that don't mean we have to become the full-time teacher, but certainly we can reinforce, grow, give application opportunities, just lots of ways for students to practice skills even. And I think this is like really a great place to end and leave parents with that even when you go to a teacher, just to go into it with the idea of, I want something out of this conversation. I want to share something with the teacher. But let me remind myself, I will probably also grow from this conversation and I probably will learn something from them. I didn't know about my kid in a way where I can also do my part in kind of this team approach to helping my child. And I think when we go in with that back and forth reciprocal expectation, again, the likelihood of defensiveness is lower and the likelihood of a really kind of positive outcome is higher. Any kind of last or kind of summarizing guidance you would give to a parent listening like, oh, if I only had to remember one thing in terms of how to talk effectively to my kids teacher about what's happening at school like what would that be so i think the the number one piece of advice is just humanize that teacher Mm. and bring it down to that conversation and realize that you probably have the same goals and and how do we again work together to get to those goals and then just a separate piece of advice i would say for parents thinking about what can you do at home be purposeful in all of the interactions and all of the kind of playful opportunities. You know, we're all about purposeful play. Drive it back to what's happening in in your child's life and be curious yourselves. Ask those questions and try to get to the heart of, you know, this is what my child's thinking about. This is where they're struggling. This is where they're succeeding. This is what they're proud of. But also just this is what they're thinking about when they're learning. Yes. Thank you so much for being here, Jenny. This is going to be such a helpful episode to so many parents. Thanks so much for having me. What fun to just get to play through these scenarios together. I love thinking through these situations with Jenny. Let's tie it all together with three takeaways. First, approach your child's teacher like you're on the same team. After all, you both are on the same team. Team your child. Use more we's than you's to show the teacher that you're in it together. Two, when your kid comes to you with an issue at school, pause and try to respond first to their experience rather than responding to fix the issue. This means more, thank you for sharing this with me. 
Tell me more about that. Unless that's ridiculous. I'm going to speak up for you and change that right now. Three, there's so much we can do at home to support our kids' learning. It's not our responsibility to teach our kids every academic skill. But remember that every academic skill also depends on a child's ability to tolerate frustration. So work in some frustration tolerance moments in your home. An easy way to start doing this is to talk openly about the things you struggle with or model a realistic learning process you're going through. Thanks for listening to Good Inside. There are so many more strategies and tips I want to share with you. Head to goodinside.com and sign up for Good Insider, my free weekly email with scripts and strategies delivered right to your inbox. And follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Dr. Becky at Good Inside for a daily dose of parenting and self-care ideas. Good Inside with Dr. Becky is produced by Beth Rowe and Marie Cecile Anderson and executive produced by Erica Belsky and me, Dr. Becky. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate and review it or share this episode with a friend or family member as a way to start an important conversation. Let's end by placing our hands on our hearts and reminding ourselves, even as I struggle and even as I have a hard time on the outside, I remain good inside.